May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I felt like I was on a bit of a poor roll after last week, so I'm going to carry on preaching on Hebrews because I'm finding it quite interesting to look at. Last week, I spoke about pulling out the bits of Paul that feel relevant to us uh, today and kind of somewhat leaving behind the bits that get used against us uh, in ways that divide us, ways that turn us away from love. Hopefully, we'll find something today also in our uh, letter to the Hebrews reading. I think the core of the reading we heard today and the core of the whole letter to the Hebrews is that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Essentially, to have faith is to have hope, to believe that a better world is possible and that a better you is possible. At its core, faith already possesses what God has promised for us in the future, even though those things don't feel realised all the time. When we have hope and faith, we already have them with us. But faith defies logic. It defies every human instinct. When we're trying to make what is invisible to us have shape and colour and texture to become real to us. But when we have this sort of faith, it moves us to live in the vision of the gospel, to, move in that, to live in that world of justice and love and peace that we were talking about in our prayer for the day. When we see God's promises at work, when our lives look and feel like God's promises are at work, even when we feel otherwise, even when we feel like God's promises are a long way away. It's like in that lovely children's book, The Little Prince, whose author's name I can't pronounce, uh, so I won't try. (laughs) When the boy asks the fox to tell him the three of life's greatest secrets, the fox answers, it's only with the heart that one can see rightly. What is essential is invisible to the eye. So the world watched this week as lots of bishops descended on the Lambeth Conference when they met up and discussed the future of the church. And all of the news sites I saw reported on one thing and one thing only, the debate over LGBT relationships and whether we can allow them and whether or not the church should bless them. And hopefully you guys know me well enough by now that this is a cut and dried issue for me. (laughs) For me, the most beautiful and faithful romantic relationships that I've known have been queer. And I can't imagine the God I love and the Jesus I know having any problem with that. So I'll just say it clearly that I disagree with a lot of people in this debate. And so it was really tough. It was denting to my hope to see that this huge opportunity for all of the bishops to show that the church is a necessary and beneficial thing to have, even in our 21st century post-Christian cultural landscape. Instead, I think they made us look even more out of touch than usual. And of course, the news sites barely touched on the fact that also on the list of subjects for discussion are how the church will respond to climate change. Finally, picking up on the imminent and already happening dangers, mainly affecting provinces in the global south, like Solomon Islands, West Africa, and countless other vulnerable ecosystems. 
we, as a communion, could have made a statement about how the church will pledge to financially support provinces which are bearing the brunt of ecological loss and damage, for which they have a smaller amount of responsibility compared to the global northern provinces. We could have also talked about what a post-colonial Anglican church might look like, how we work through the trauma and damage of certain missionary activities and practices, and the ongoing effects of colonialism and empire in many provinces. But no, we carry on with that one issue that seems to, over and over again, change our attention, take our attention away from these things. So, understandably, my hope and faith in the arc of history bending towards justice felt a little dented. I felt like this church which I've dedicated myself to, despite its many issues and fallibilities, which was using its power not to speak for the oppressed or set captives free, but once again to punch down. And so... I turned to Hebrews to try and write this sermon, which I've got to be honest, I was still working on at 7am this morning because it was quite a difficult one. (laughs) But I think the reading today highlights the travails of the forebears of our faith, Abraham and Sarah. Their faith was challenged in big ways throughout their years of waiting and wondering. When Abraham is in his 70s, God tells him to leave his home, head out to an unknown land, and claim his inheritance. And so Abraham uproots his family, he uproots his life, and sets out without knowing where they're headed, how long it'll take to get there, or if they'll even survive the arduous journey at all. Surely, he must have had moments along the way when he seriously doubted God's promises. And then there's Abraham's wife, Sarah, who's 90 years old. She has wanted a child of her own for so many years, and she's had to give up on that dream. And then suddenly she's told by God that she'll give birth to a son. And when she hears this, she laughs. Who wouldn't? For even after 90 years of following and trusting God, whose faith is complete enough to believe such an impossible miracle? It struck me reading this uh, retelling of this story that sometimes being faithful is literally just about waiting waiting for your moment to act, to speak. Perhaps me, I'll stand outside Lambeth conferences for 90 years, waiting, holding placards about the climate crisis, and waiting for God to tell me, now's your moment. Like Abraham and Sarah, we're all called to hope, to have faith in God, even in moments when it looks like our hopes are a million miles away, and when our fears are swarming about us. And Abraham and Sarah show us that no matter how devout we are or how many years we've been on this earth, our faith still has room to grow. God continues to offer surprising chapters, new journeys, powerful lessons to learn, all of which help teach us that even though we don't know what the future holds, we know who holds our lives. And so... Earlier in the week, I had planned that I was going to preach on the need for all of us to work towards the things we hope for, to chase the better world that God promises us, to put our time and our money and our effort into making the kingdom of God a place that exists right here and right now. Because as we hear in the gospel reading, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. But (laughs) the only thought I had was like, oh, I'm so tired, oh my goodness, (laughs) 
I'm really tired. I'm tired of standing on busy streets trying to have my voice heard above lorries zooming past. I'm tired of my friends having their placards grabbed out of their hands by angry counter-protesters. And I'm tired of Shell and Exxon announcing record profits year on year while ecosystems collapse and people bake inside their 40-degree flats. I'm tired. And there's times when working for a better future is exactly what you should be doing. But when that's overwhelming, as right now it's feeling that way for me, you can't stop having hope. A friend of mine recently asked where I find hope in our efforts. And I really had to search for an answer, because the truth is, it's quite hard to find. If, like Sarah, God came and told me that the things I dream of are about to come true, I think I'd laugh in his face as well. So we keep on waiting. Like Abraham, who is looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And we remember that we're not the architects of that better future. We might be on the boat, we're sticking an oar in and trying to change the course, but God is the captain. And I don't think that's a great metaphor because I don't know much about boats. So if that's wrong, come and tell me. <laughs> but, you know, we, Paul emphasizes that the things we hope for happen on God's time, not on ours. And he writes, all these people were still living in faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. Cheryl Laurie, who works in prisons in Australia, says, hope is an encounter that captivates our imagination so we can't help but become more than who we thought we were and find ourselves living for something that is all at once preposterous and impossible. And for me, that describes my walk with Jesus, my faith in God. At those times when all of these promises of a world of justice and peace and no more tears and all the wonderful things that we read about in the Bible, when they feel preposterous and impossible, that's when I remember that Jesus captivated my imagination. At one point gave me so much hope that those things were so possible. I keep trying to grasp that encounter ever, every day. But some days it's not there, and some days you have to really reach for it. In the cutout section of our Hebrews reading today, we had like 1 to 3 and then 8 to 16. And the bit in the middle talks about lots of other kind of patriarchs of the Bible. We hear about Cain and Enoch and Noah. But also, if we read the whole New Testament and not just the people we, uh, Paul mentions, we hear about Ruth and Naomi and Deborah. We hear about all these flawed people who nevertheless, despite their myriad mess-ups, decided to put their hope in God, and they are counted righteous for it. Nadia Boltzweber, who I quote in pretty much every sermon, says, God's grace fills in the cracks left by our brokenness. So on the days when you can't imagine the better world which God has planned for us all, that's okay. Grace does the work for you. Hope is an encounter that captivates our imagination so we can't help but become more than who we thought we were. And we find ourselves living for something that is all at once preposterous and impossible.
Friends, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Because a hope that does not disappoint looks a lot less like being idealistic about ourselves and what we can achieve and more about being idealistic about God's redeeming work in our world. Amen.